Welcome to the Vibe Chat Podcast. My name is Chris Langley, owner of Vibe Speech Therapy. And today, I'd like to talk about word retrieval. Word retrieval or word finding means a person's ability to think of the right word when they need it. Word finding means that the person can't think of words when they already know the word or they have been exposed to it. Now, we all have these moments when we can't think of the right word, and in that instant, we're having a word retrieval problem. Now, maybe problem's a little too heavy to say, but we're having a word retrieval issue, experience, and in some cases, in different situations, it can be better or worse. Maybe we're tired, maybe we're distracted, maybe we're getting older and experiencing that although I don't like to use that one as an excuse, but it does happen. Um, Or maybe there's uh, attention issues or language learning issues. There's all kinds of reasons why we have these. And also I will add that our psycho-emotional state does contribute to that. If we're feeling self-conscious, if we're feeling shy, if we're having a layer of trauma that's, you know, acting out or we're experiencing, that can all contribute to our ability to find the right words. Maybe we're in shock or we're completely overjoyed. So it doesn't always have to be bad, but we think of it as not so great because we want to access something that we can't. So that's what we call word retrieval. And there are activities that you can do to help with this. But I do want to say also, I wanted to add that on the path of word retrieval, what can happen with all of us is that we use filler words, um, uh, like thing, stuff. And I try to really work with kids on that. So they do not bring those in, especially like has turned into something that's I think adults have this habit too, that it's taken kind of the front seat as the filler, you know, like I said, you know, like, yeah, like, like, and there's a lot of like, 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 like. Now, when I'm talking to kids about decreasing this filler, I don't say to eliminate it because we need it. We need like, it's part of our speech. We use it in similes. Uh, You know, it's, it's important when we're making an example when we're discussing things. But there are times when you can omit it and it sounds much cleaner and easier and uh, when we're trying to convey an idea. So I try to get that across to them and we practice. And it's hard to break these habits, especially when everyone around us is saying it. So that I did want to mention the, the filler aspect about that. But the activities can really help with this and they can help with reducing the fillers and increasing the uh, retrieval so there are there's a lot of different things you can do. One thing you can do is you can provide a synonym or an antonym for any given word. You come up with a word that means the same thing, which is a synonym, or you derive its opposite. And that's, we naturally do that anyway when we're trying to develop language skills. We, we do these things. And if you're learning a new language, this is a huge thing that we do. You know, we're, we're at the beginning again, you know, when you're learning a language. And so you start to do that kind of wordplay. And you can provide a word from a definition. You, you say it and then, you know, you choose a word from a group of words. You can have a word bank. I like to use word banks to decrease the cognitive load and also to mm, decrease the panic mode 
and decrease the self-confidence attacking mode. So sometimes these word banks can be really helpful as a way to just guide someone along and give them that added support. Categories are also really great. What, you know, you've given a few words and you pick, okay, these go together the best. We call that inclusion. And then if you're trying to do, and you're doing exclusion, a lot of things we think of exclusion is not so great, but in this case, it's just deciding which one doesn't belong in this particular category. If you have a bunch of animals and then you have a banana there, you might say, okay, well, that doesn't fit our category. Now, if you have a monkey in the thing with a banana, well, then that goes together, obviously, for different reasons. But there's, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. There's categories of things that are very distinct and concrete. And so if we do an exclusion task, we have to find which one doesn't belong. Typically, developmentally, the exclusion task is a little harder. So I'm mindful of that, depending on the age of the person that I'm working with. But that's something you can do. And there's something about making a group that I think just innately in our biological development, you know, we're tribal and we're group oriented in a lot of ways. And I, I think that there's something about that on that fundamental cellular level that brings people together and wanting to group stuff and they make these categories and they have a lot of fun with it. I have yet to meet a kid who doesn't like to do categories. So that's maybe a good one to start with. Uh, associations are another really good one. You can name these associative items. You give them the item and then you give them the practice word. Okay, let's generate another one. This would be shoes and, you know, bowl and. So you they can name what goes with it. And that's a really great thing. And you can do that. Those functional activities are really, really helpful. And you can use them in real time. So they're getting that. And then they get the context and they get what they're supposed to do. And the context really supports them too. You can describe the function while you're doing this. Let's say you're doing shoes and socks and you can describe our shoes are going to help us to walk on the ground or, you know, or, you know, you would describe the bowl and the spoon, the spoon gives, brings us our food. And, you know, you can describe depending on what you're doing and what words you're trying to achieve. And, um, and you can say what things are associated with it. So maybe you're at the dinner table or breakfast table and you have your bowl and spoon, and then you have tables and chairs and you have forks and knives. So you have all these other associative items that go with it. And then they start to build this whole world of the table around them, or they build the school supplies out around them or their clothing. So there's, we're going into the categories and they're building out these items and these associative things. And then when you're in those categorical associative activities, maybe you're talking about the definitions of them. You can talk about what they look like. You could talk about the color and the shape and the size. And this all comes really naturally, I think, to us when we're talking to somebody who we're trying to support. I mean, you know, obviously I'm not going to sit there and do that with a friend, you know, for having lunch, I'm not going to do these types of things. But I think naturally when we're parent to child, teacher, educator to child, or someone who's caring for an older person who needs a little support, these things come in or anyone who needs support, I should just say, these things come out kind of naturally, um, we would hope at least to some degree within us to help someone reclaim these skills. Uh, rapid naming is another one. It's not my first go-to, but it's 
it can be stressful for somebody who's feeling that pressure and they can't find something. And you have to just choose based on the personality. If it works for somebody, someone who likes to, who likes that competitive streak within them, who likes to test themselves or just has a good nature about these things. Some people may feel it's just too stressful or they get overwhelmed by it. But either way, it's a task that you can do and you can name these items in a category. Let's say you've got vegetables or things in the house or in the kitchen and you just say, okay, do as many things as you can. Now you can keep in mind who you're working with and, or even if it's yourself, you can keep yourself in mind and decide if you want to use a timer or not, you know, for the ultimate person who's like super competitive but they, okay, I'm going to beat my time. I'm going to do this, you know, and then, or if they can take it very playfully, then you can use the timer. Otherwise you can just see what you can do, you know, and be easy with yourself if you, or whoever's doing it, help them to be easy with themselves and just have a fun time with it. Um, you want to just do as many as they can. They can also write, if you're practicing writing skills, now this is also can be stressful. So maybe you want to take the pressure out of it and just say, we're just going to make a list. You're not going to put like a timer on it or do it rapidly, but you can also have them do word retrieval with writing and say, okay, write down as many vegetables and fruit or yeah, fruits and vegetables that you know. And then you can, you know, check spelling. You can, I mean, there's so many different tacks you can take with this, but that's another one that works. And um, sequencing items in a certain task, that's a really good thing to do. You can use it with cooking. Cooking is a very functional activity with sequencing. It's a really fun activity. A lot of kids like that. You can make something that they want to make. You're making cookies or you're making a cake, or maybe they like sushi or a milkshake, or I'm thinking of sweets and stuff, but pizza, pizza is a very good one for task. And the classic one is like the, you know, the peanut butter sandwiches. What do we do for That's kind of the classic one making a sandwich, but it works. It doesn't have to be peanut butter, especially all those peanut allergy people. So, um, or people who don't want to have the nuts, you can do any type of sandwich and it works well because you have all these pieces in there and steps to take. And with those, it's pretty simple uh, or make making spaghetti, another very simple one. So you get to decide how many steps in the sequencing process, how simple to complex that you would want it to be. And you want to have them describe what's going on, what's happening. And, you know, if you want to get a little fancy, you can have them use some adjectives while they're doing it, you know, up the ante a little bit, you know, this, um, I don't know, what could we say, this fluffy rice, (laughs) you know, this crisp apple, you can have them Uh, talk about their things like that. And that would be just another added bonus for language. Um, Another way you can do it with sequencing that makes it more the rote skill set is you can use when, when they need a little bit more of an intro or more support, you can have them do the alphabet or the days of the week or the seasons or um, numbers or like first, second, third, you know, things like this, you can have them do what comes next. That would be for someone who has more of a, an impairment, you know, let's say they have a, just had a stroke or they have more of a language impairment going on, then they may need a little bit more support. Or if they're younger, actually, they're just developmentally younger and they need that intro because I wouldn't expect a three-year-old to be able to answer, you know, spring, you know, I wouldn't expect them to answer that 
But as they get older, you would expect them to answer that. Um, you can have them name similarities and differences. So what's the same and different between an apple and an orange? You start with simple items and activities, and then you can make them more complex. And you can definitely, most definitely, tailor it to their preferences, their interests. And maybe they're really into Legos, as so many people are. So many young boys, especially, seem to be, or not even young boys. <laughs> they seem to be very interested in that, in Legos. And so maybe they want to talk about the similarity and differences in a couple of things that they built uh, or um, any other thing that they're interested in. Something that they focus a lot on in education is retelling, narration. So we want to retell this story. Okay, we read the story. Now I'd like you to tell me the story. Or we just watched this short clip, this little video on something, you know, three minutes or five minutes or whatever. Now you tell it to me. And then, you know, obviously for older, then you want to write it out. But just telling it gives us the, the, the word retrieval support. So let's talk about the in, in order. And you, so you have, you're looking for the sequencing, you're looking for the content words, you're looking for transition words, you're looking for the describing words. You want these elements in there so that what they're saying feels complete and it doesn't feel telegraphic or disjointed you know you want it to feel like a, a fluid comprehensive narration so those are really good things to practice and you know you're working with you can do a retell of a story that you know a mouse ate a cookie you can be there you can be dr seuss you can be in lord of the rings you can do all kinds of things if you're working with older kids you can do uh, paragraph. Okay, let's read this paragraph and then tell me what happened in this paragraph or or the chapter, you know. Um, that's an excellent way of breaking down a chapter at a time. And I would encourage, you, you know, if they're going to be reading a book, let's say it's an older student, let's say middle or high school, and they're reading a book, then you can say, let's annotate this. Let's, how do you put little sticky notes here? and annotate this to give your give your mind something to come back and rest upon so you're building in this strategy you're also building in an excellent study skill this is just something that we all would need to do because we can't remember well if you're gifted you can but most of us can't remember all the important details that we read that we would want to report out on. Now, if we're just doing it for pleasure, then we just take in what we can take in, which is why I think when we re-watch a movie or re-read a book, we're like, oh, I get something new every time. Yeah, because we can't soak every single aspect in and remember it all the time. Unfortunately, I wish we all had that gift, but that is an essential part of um, how we learn to study, how we learn to reflect on who we are and how we learn and what we need to make our uh, acquisition of knowledge and our retention of knowledge and our application of knowledge a lot more pertinent for the life that we're living. So these things come in, these little strategies, and they're not cheating. They're just strategies on how to be with what we've got. And of course, reading. I mean, reading 
like I was just saying, when you're at how to annotate a book, you can do all kinds of things with books. So I'll, I'm going to talk about a lot of things. So you can, you can choose books that have rhymes, like silly rhymes. Um, Dr. Seuss is excellent for those. The book about opposites. You could have books about classifying, like a lot of kids when they're younger, they get really into vehicles or tools. You know, they get, you know, I have these young uh, boys and they really love all the different vehicles that exist or every tool you can imagine. Uh, jobs, you can do jobs for maybe for somebody who's older and knows these different types of jobs. Um, and I must say with jobs, I just have to add this in. You can do, you can do suffixes <laughs> with jobs. You can do like scientist teacher, you know, you can do these different types of things and talk about. So if there's other aspects of language that need to be developed, you can blend them in at, in different activities together. Everything's not just like in its own silo of learning. So just to know about that. And um, you can also, you want to know the names of objects or entities that are, that are within other classes. So you can expand upon anything that you want to know. Books about animals and their young or involving and knowing the precise names of animals offspring, for example, like horses have foals and cows have calves. So you're really building this vocabulary and everyone loves to look at these little baby animals. I say everyone, but maybe not. But I think most people <laughs> like the baby aspect. Oh, look how cute. It's a baby horse. Actually, it's called a foal. And how, this is how you spell it. F-O-A-L. So I include whenever I'm working with students and clients, I include all aspects of learning as that not to overwhelm, but as much as it feels supportive and, and like kind of nutrients for the moment that we're in. So I like to bring in literacy. I like to say, this is what the word looks like. If they don't know, I mean, obviously if they know, we're not going to bring it in because they already have that, but if it's appropriate and sometimes not, sometimes I wouldn't do that. You just go with the moment of who the person is, what you're working with and um, you take it from there. So you want to have these correct names because for some common animals, you know, they, a horse, you can have a mare and you can have a stallion, you can have a filly, you can have a colt. So you want to have specific names and that's nice to know these names, even if you're not necessarily going to say, you wouldn't say maybe there's a mare, you may not know, you'd say there's a horse, but it's important to know these distinctions when we're making references in, in the world that we live in. And, um, you want to have books about names and books that contain high repetitions of the same word. You see that a lot, especially in books for younger people. They have this repetition, repetition, repetition. There's um, some informational text articles that I use um, from news to you, and they have the advanced version goes up to about third grade, I would say. And they do a lot of that, which is really brilliant in this. And the pictures are, it's all about current event and the pictures are um, very nice, uh, real photos of, of the event that they're talking about. And, but they do this repetition. And so it forces the person who is learning these words to really internalize it because they've saying it over and over and over and they're really getting it. And then they're able to then use it in the subsequent exercise to discuss it or to write about it. And then they've got, Oh, okay, I've got this now. And, um, and also it's nice to have books that tell stories. So sometimes we, you know, 
everybody wants to hear a story. I keep saying everybody, but maybe not everybody. <laughs> but I should say in large part, people want to say people like to have stories. It's a very soothing, calming thing to be read to or to hear a story. I think that's, you know, why people get on YouTube, people get on TV or movies, or they listen to podcasts or, you know, they want to hear things. They want to hear a story. They want to hear a scenario, um, sometimes just information. And, uh, but anyway, that's, I think a critical piece of being able to supplement this skill set that you're trying to build for word retrieval. Another thing you can do is sentence completion. A house is a place where we, looking for that keyword, right? Live. A house is a place. And then they can say, it doesn't have to be to live. A house is a place to live. You say, a house is a place where our family, you know, you can, it just, we can be flexible with what's there, but you want to have a general idea. You can use similes. Similes are great. She is as pretty as a, that's a kind of a classic, pretty as a picture, people say. I don't know quite what that means, pretty as a picture. I mean, it came from somewhere. Pretty as a flower. Flowers are pretty. So you can use it like that and see what they come up with. Sometimes you might be surprised at the words that people come up with. Um, Circumlocution is a thing that we use for strategy. And what you do, and it works really well. And what you do is when you can't think of the word, some people automatically start doing it and they don't know that they're doing the circumlocution is they start describing it. Okay, well, and some people don't. And then what I say to my clients, they'll say, okay, well, well, just tell me a little bit about it. What are you trying to just tell me about? What are you trying to describe? You know, so I try to just get them to start talking about it. And then boom, the word comes. So they get it. And then that word will come forward. And if it doesn't, then a substitute comes forward. A word that is, you know, a synonym that works just as well. So, or maybe has a shade of meaning that's not too far and it still gets the, the meaning that they were intending across. So that one works really well. You can play games like a catchphrase, like describing a word without saying it. And then they have to, you know, listen to the descriptions. It's a little bit, just like I was saying with circumlocution in a way, but making a gamified format out of it. And then they can um, see if they can guess it. And, and you go, again, maybe be mindful of not using a timer. So, you know, people are a little more sensitive to that. Visualization is another one that I really think is good. It's really supportive. Whenever I am teaching vocabulary, I always use a picture unless they already have the internalized image. If they do not have it, I find a picture. Now it's a little bit harder with a concept word, but even still, you know, you can find something that's representational. So visualizing the, the item, visualizing the action of the person or the, the admin, you just want to create that. Not everybody's visual. Everybody has their different strengths, but it doesn't hurt to build out the areas that were are not our go-to areas. It's fine. Like I was saying, I like holistic learning. I like to provide everything that's available so that we can lean on what we're good at and what works for us. But we also have these other skills that we're, we're not allowing them to atrophy. We're, we're just keeping them in the game. Even if they're not our strong ones, we can kind of just keep them there with us. But, you know, you don't want things to just, you don't want to just build one muscle. 
And uh, gestures also help. Gestures are commonly used in communication. We use it all the time as part of our nonverbal language skills and really critical and important. And they facilitate word retrieval. Like we're describing things in a nonverbal way. You see a lot of people using their hands when they talk and, you know, so that's what they're doing there. Their, their thoughts are coming out in verbally and their thoughts are also coming out nonverbally with all of their gestures. Another way to, um, improve uh, word retrieval is through mnemonics. Mnemonic is a, is a memory aid. It's, it's a tool that helps you remember an idea and you have it with a phrase or a pattern of letters, numbers, things that are relatable. For example, you could use poetry. I love poetry. So you have special rhymes, poems, and acronyms and images, songs. I love using songs. Songs are great. And some kids just really love it. I mean, I think the older they get, the more they start to get really shy about expressing themselves that way, especially in front of anybody. But when they're younger, they just love, they really love the songs. It's a lot of fun. And you can also create outlines. That happens a little bit when you're older, creating the outlines for the mnemonic device. So there's a variety of ways to do it, depending on the preference and the age. And um, with the rhyming, with the songs, you can use it for things such as like, I before E, except after C, you know, those types, you can use those types of rhymes, so many different types, but those are some that just for key facts. And that's for the spelling thing. I use that for a client uh, recently and boy, it really helped. I, I would just repeat it. Anytime he was having trouble spelling those types of words, I would just say I before E, except, and pretty soon he was internalizing it and he was able to then kind of sub vocalize it. And then he was able to retain it. And then, then quick change it when he was proofreading. And yeah, so it kind of starts to get internalized. We use acronyms a lot too. Um, you know, an acronym is basically, a, you have the word, a, a longer word, uh, like NASA, what is it? National Aeronautic Space Association. And you, so you take those first letters from that or ATM. One that they use in sciences, Roy G. Biv, you know, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. So you have these things. Kids remember those. They like acronyms. Kids really like them. We try to think of as much as we can and and break it down. And so they remember stuff that way. So sometimes I create acronyms from some things that we're doing to help them. And I think a lot of these are just making associations. So as I was talking about in another podcast with neuroplasticity for your brain, you want to build these associative networks in the in neural networks so you can get these connections going and we engage different aspects of our brain and rhyme and song and mnemonics and and uh, then we're developing these different strategies and different tools we're using to try to get these words to come and hopefully you're engaging with people who are compassionate or kind or patient and they'll allow you the time to find your words and if you're not engaging with someone maybe you're engaging with someone who's not as kind or they're in a hurry or they're just unaware then you can yourself be aware or you can be aware for someone else who you're caring for of what's needed and you know just take your own time and do what you need to care for yourself in this world of word retrieval and just do the best that you can do at any time. And that's where we are with word retrieval. And there's a lot 
there's a lot to do and there's a lot to it, but just want to try to make it as fun and easy as possible. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please follow me on Apple and Spotify or on any other podcast platform. And to get more information on speech and language therapy, you can visit my website at vibespeechtherapy.com. Thank you.